Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to The Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I am visiting with Alan Lewis Rickman. Alan is known for his work in Yiddish theater, which includes his work as a translator of Yiddish dramas, his work as a performer and director. He's also known for his work on A Serious Man, Son of Saul, and The Cobbler. Welcome. Hi. Great to have you here. I've been uh, hoping to get you on the schmooze for a way long time now. Um, and I believe it's my chance to ask you, how did you come to Yiddish, to performance, to directing, to all of the myriad things you do? Um, it's a big question, but over to you. Well, it was, it was, I realized a long time ago that it was either do all of this or get a job. So uh, it really wasn't a difficult decision. Uh, how I actually came to it, the, the backstory. Is I grew up in a Yiddish-speaking home. I did not. Uh, my folks did not speak Yiddish to me, but at the same time, they did not speak it for secrets or anything like that, which is so common among, uh, with Yiddish-speaking parents of American-born children. Uh, they were just. It was the first language for both of them. My father, Elisha Shalom, was a Holocaust survivor, and my mother, Elisha Shalom, was American-born but of immigrant parents. So her so the first language for both of them was Yiddish, and they would fall into it. And I just. Uh, I like the sound of it, and I would, always, I would ask, how do you say this, or what does that mean, etc. And I think I may have been particularly drawn to it because I went to a typical modern Orthodox yeshiva. Uh, it's, no longer, it's no longer extant. It's called Hila. It was in Far Rockaway, and um, later merged with another school, so I've heard of a place called Haftar, which is doing quite well. Half of them was formerly Hila. Anyhow, um, and in, the, in my typical modern Orthodox yeshiva, I heard not a word of Yiddish, uh, just Hebrew, 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 and I was bored, beepless uh, by Hebrew, I thought, as a spoken language, as a modern language. Um, I mean, it was, it was obviously you know, fitting for, for, for Torah and for, for, for prayers, but uh, as a spoken language, I found it incredibly dull feeling, especially as compared to what I was hearing around me at home, and in the shul we went to, which was a typical modern Orthodox shul, but it was full of old guys and uh, older women who spoke Yiddish a lot. I mean, the, the minority of the shul, but they sat around where we were. So I grew up hearing it all the time. And compare, compare the Hebrew that I was learning in shul to this rich, you know, thick soup of a, of a, of a language. Uh, there, there was really no comparison. So that drew me to it. And... Um, I was interested ever since I was a kid in old movies, and then uh, I found out about the Yiddish movies that were made in the 1930s, and starting when I was in my late teens, I would track them down and go to see them, and would read a lot about them and, uh, and about the Yiddish theater, and eventually, and I got into theater, into acting and directing and so forth, and um, gradually kind of found my, fell into uh, uh, Yiddish theater. I taught myself how to read and write Yiddish. I knew the Alephase, of course, from Yeshiva, but the orthography is completely different. Um, and that's kind of about it. I mean, there's, there's one or two I, uh, incidents. I did a show, my very first off-Broadway show, um, as distinguished, uh, distinguished from off-off-Broadway. This is some, a difference that New Yorkers will know, but people from other places won't. Um, off-Broadway means uh, basically a salaried uh, uh, more money, more professional type of production than off-off. Off-off is where what people used to think of as off type of shows are done. It's where the, it's the artier, the smaller, the more startup, uh, some of those formalist things. 
I've done, I've done a bunch of those. And then my first off-Broadway show, when I got into equity, uh, and became a real professional, was a show that had a lot of Yiddish in it. It was an English play, English language play, but it had a lot of Yiddish in it. And somebody recommended me from that to do a job for the old folks, Pina, to do a Shalom Aleichem play, and that was my first professional credit in Yiddish theater. That was back in the day when folks, Pina, was still doing you know, actual plays. And that was the beginning. And have I, are, you, are you asleep yet? No, no. Was that answer long enough for you? It was perfect. It was perfect okay. and really interesting. I that... could also tell you a, a story about how I first, one thing that happened to me, an interesting odd incident before my first, uh, before my actual first Yiddish credit, mm-hmm. um, my first real professional Yiddish credit. I'd actually done an amateur Yiddish thing beforehand. Uh, with There was a, a company of very nice folks on Long Island, mostly retired dentists, who were doing Gilbert and Sullivan in Yiddish. Um, and I did a couple of shows with them, very nice people. Um, but before I, I, before I ju- got that first off-Broadway credit and uh, joined Equity, I was very eager to join Equity. And there was a, uh, there's an organization called the Four A's, which is the Association of Actors Unions, because there's uh, Actors' Equity at that time, the Screen Actors Guild, and AFTRA were two separate unions, being the Television Acting Union and the TV and Radio Acting Union. Uh, plus, there's another union for opera singers, it's uh, opera singers and announcers, etc. Uh, then there was the Italian Actors Union, one or two others, and also Hebrew Act, the Hebrew Actors Union, which was the oldest of all, which was the Yiddish Theater Union. And, I've, and the a, four A's unions had an agreement that if you belonged to one, you could join the others. Now, equity had a what well, was essentially a closed-door policy. You couldn't get into equity unless you had an equity contract, uh, which was a difficult thing to get. But I heard about this policy and about the HAU, and I, so I went to their office on East 7th Street, and it's a, a, a small older building there with a big glass window in the front door, and this was back in the late, this is late 1980s, and I rang the doorbell, and a little fellow who I later found out was, uh, it was either Seymour or Jack Rechtside, who was running the union at that time, answered the door, saw, saw somebody there who was under 30, naturally figured out I was a, you know, a murderer or a robber or something like that, looked at me very suspiciously. And I said, yes, I'd like to inquire about joining the Hebrew Actors Union. He said, yeah. He opens the door, <laughs> invites me in. It takes me into the office back there, and Leon Liebgold is sitting there in, on a chair like a throne. Leon Liebgold was a guy who played the, lead, the male lead in the movie of the Dybbuk, and he played Hvedka in Maury Schwartz's movie of Tevya. He was a very well-established, uh, very, very fine Yiddish actor. He was sitting there on his throne in a suit that you know looked gorgeous when he bought it in 1952, and was bragging how he, to me how he was the idol, basically, of all of the elderly ladies he performed in front of at that time in Florida. Um, and it wound up, I had a very nice chat with them. They were very nice fellows. And winds up, ultimately, you couldn't get into HAU without an HAU contract. So uh, ultimately, uh, so that, that didn't work out. <laughs> ultimately, I wound up getting that equity contract for that off-Broadway show uh, called The Faithful Brethren of Pitt Street a little while later, which closed very quickly, unfortunately. Um, and I wound up joining HAU not long after that, after all. But it was, it was the reverse of what I'd originally thought of my scheme but your scheme worked. 
but not really. And then we're like, so, but, but, you know, you got to move I would ultimately have got, you know, yeah. what, I was, what, what I was aiming for, but not through the scheme. <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great scene, and, and the, uh, the idea of walking in and finding him, you know, sort of enthroned there um, <laughs> is great. So I read you um, in IMDB, lowercase b, um, that you hail from Far Rockway. You grew up in the right. 1960s. I love this. Watching television, which you recall, um, pre-digested, flavorless stuffed, cooked up to sell detergent. Um, and you lamented that all of our culture is designed to be chewed up and spit out. People want to know where they came from. People are interested in roots and what brings them to Sholem Aleichem. And, or, and that brings them to Sholem Aleichem. So I think that's a wonderful quote from you. And I do feel, as somebody who's been to many of your performances, um, that it's true. You really do help return us to or find our our way back to some of these roots. Can you talk a little bit about how that influences your work? Well, I, I'm very interested in, the way I always, I always look, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in history and I'm interested in uh, also, I'm, I'm a lifelong old movie nut and I'm interested in, in theater history too in addition to being interested in history in general. And I always, I guess my, 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 my overweening prejudice is that there's some chunks of gold that people have just forgotten, that people have just left behind, tossed us, because we are so, uh, in, in America, we are so, as I, as I, as you, I said and you quoted, we, we kind of, everything, we are, we are a consuming culture. I don't mean a consumer culture. I mean, we don't, anything is, that is of this moment is of this moment, and then two moments later is garbage, and we forget about it, and it, 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 there's a tremendous impermanence. Uh, to us, and it's it's a shame because, the, like, like I say, there really is. This is my belief. So much f fine, fine things that that we just toss aside. This applies to film, and this uh, applies to theater. And I also, when we look at the typical histories of, say, Yiddish theater, for example, uh, what we see is a couple of cliches. We, we tend to see is the cliches and the headlines, and the meat and potatoes stuff is what is left behind. Uh, in Yiddish theater, I've uh, did you, um, you 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 did catch um, I, uh, the Coburn we did last week, didn't you? Yeah. So the, I, there are three plays in particular that I want to speak with you about because right. I think that you've resurfaced some work that just it's so brilliant and it's insightful Good. and um, so let's and yeah breach of promise. I mean, I will say I made the one day round trip here from Amherst to New York with my colleague David Mazauer, and you know it's not an easy trip. <laughs> We navigated Midtown, which was a disaster, but there were no regrets. The only regret would have been if we didn't get off of 57th Street and make it in time. That was just enormously funny, incredibly. Um, it was a great window into an immigrant experience. Um, it's multi-generational. So how did you find that play, and what spoke to you well, about it? So let me finish the, your, yeah. your, your, your early question that I, that I, that I, got, that I sidetracked myself from. But that's precisely it. So I play, but there is so much stuff like Breach of Promise that those are the things that I like to uh, that I to, to to find to dig, to dig up these things that are that are wrongly forgotten, that are wrongly ignored, that are so valuable and so interesting. And that's uh, and Shalom Aleichem, although he is the Babe Ruth of Yiddish literature, uh, at the same time, the majority of uh, of us of American Jews know. As the Italians would say, Ugats about 
about Shalom Aleichem. Only the vulgar Italians would say that. It's a very vulgar expression. Um, about Shalom Aleichem. And we know, for example, Fiddler. And Fiddler is lovely musical theater, but it's terrible Shalom Aleichem. It's atrocious. It is uh, uh, such... It, it, it is really a, a sad thing that Fiddler has come to be to uh, kind of secularized uh, uh, American Jewry, this almost sacred text that is all they know of the life of the life that they come from uh, originally in Eastern Europe, because it's such a dis- deliberately distorted version of exactly that life. So what attracts me to Shalom Aleichem is you know, when we did Tevye Served Raw, mm-hmm. and I go is is we go we cover a lot of the same material and go back to the original because it is a we ought to know these things. We ought to know who more than two or three generalized cliches about the people we come from. You, I, I was, you, if you don't know who you were, you don't know who you are. Mm-hmm. And we're never going to find out who we were from Fiddler on the Roof uh, and company, um, which is why I dig deep and, and find. Which is why I dig and find these uh, and find these things. So back to your question about uh, 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 breach of promise. I had directed a Coburn play uh, years ago, uh, another co- a, a wonderful Coburn play called The Next Door, The Lady Next Door, um, which I may do a, uh, an English translation of at some point. Um, I, d- I directed that in Yiddish with uh, supertitles that I wrote, but I may write a stage-worthy translation, which is a different thing than a translation for supertitles. Um, that was a terrific play, so I was interested in Coburn, and... The, in our show, The Essence, which is an overview of uh, Yiddish theater history, we do a little bit of Coburn also. And I read uh, Breach of Promise originally from, not from Yivo, which, uh, which has w- a wonderful collection, the great collection, in, uh, certainly in America, but one of maybe the great collection in the world of uh, man- Yiddish theater manuscript material, uh, including lots of stuff on Breach of Promise. But I first know it from the Library of Congress, which has posted, uh, um, it is called uh, the Something of America. I forget what it is, but if you look up uh, Library of Congress Yiddish Play Scripts, it will come up. They have posted about 70 or so um, copyright-registered scripts for Yiddish plays from the uh, pre uh, for, for, from uh, pre-1923, so that everything that they posted is all public domain, mm-hmm. and that is where I originally found Breach of Promise in the in the copyright text that Coburn sent in uh, for his uh, for his copyright on the play. It's such an entertaining play, if I may. But then I think we have to give it its due. It tells a really important story in terms of understanding how things worked, um, how things work for women, how things work for an immigrant. Is it, I mean, is it, so it works on a lot of different levels. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, the other, you mentioned Sholem Aleichem, so I saw Tevia served raw um, a couple of years ago, and if I can use, there, there's this sort of amazing whip-quick exchange on the train. It's just such a great way to take a dive into Sholem Aleichem stories, as you say, that I, you know, at, I can't read them in the original. Um, I can read some in translation, but it really brought them to life. Um, and Thank you. they're hilarious, the interplay. But it's also interesting to me that you sort of chose to go back and forth between the Yiddish and the English, and that's where this volley takes place. Tell me a little bit about your thinking about that construct. So, well, so there are several. So if you're going to do, the, 
I have no interest whatsoever in doing Yiddish stuff without some form of translation. I like doing Yiddish material in Yiddish uh, as much as possible. Um, however, if I would do it in Yiddish with no translation, I no interest in that, because then your audience is very, very limited. And to me, the whole point, is, as I guess I was saying earlier, is to be able to expose people to the material. And when they get the chance to hear the Yiddish itself, but presented in a way that's completely accessible to them, even if they don't speak the language, uh, then you get a flavor from that that you just really can't get with a pure and, and total translation. So there are several ways of doing that. One is via supertitles. Um, it's where you have the, uh, uh, and of course in, in Tevius or Broadway we did uh, two, a couple of different ways of this. So one is via supertitles, so you read the dialogue translated over people's heads like word balloons in a comic strip. One, which is not commonly done anymore but also has its advantages, is via headsets so that people pick up a headset in the lobby and they can keep one ear on and one ear off and hear a, a translation simultaneously read into the headset as it's being performed on stage. So you hear the English and the Yiddish at the same time. And the other way, which I developed myself, is what is the one you're referring to, which we did for his story, uh, Salik, uh, translated as It's Baloney. Um, and so what we did, what I did with that, so for people who weren't there, is, is so it's a conversation between two strangers on a train, and I'm standing in between the two strangers on a train uh, and translating each line of their conversation to each other as if they're not speaking the same language. So the person on the left says something to me in English. I translate it into Yiddish to the person on my right. The person on my, light, my right responds to me in Yiddish. I turn and translate that into English for the person on my left and vice versa. And it builds from there. Uh, it's a technique I've used in a couple of things. It's, you can't use it for everything. But it's fun and it's entertaining. And it really does, it's a really nice way of exposing people to the Yiddish because although the translation is written to be... This gets into a whole separate uh, conversation, actually, between, between about how you translate. Do you translate strictly, or do you translate uh, uh, for flavor? Uh, if you could do it, if you translate for, with, with the goal of catching the flavor of the original and making it English, then the audience really has a chance to get the flavor of the Yiddish right there in the moment, and they get much more of a sense of the Yiddish uh, uh, that way than they would, well, obviously, if it was a straight English translation. And it worked very well. We've done that piece a number of times. Uh, we did it before uh, we developed uh, Tevye Served Raw and then decided that that would be part of that show. I love it. And as you say, um, it gives you a sense of voice and tone and just there's an energy and an exchange and you realize what it's like not to understand a language and to understand a language. Anyway, um, it, it was brilliant. Um, thank you, thank you. I also saw, you can tell I'm a big fan of your work. Uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, uh, a play that I believe you translated and directed as well. Um, one of those. Oh, yes. The Polisky play. Yeah. Talk about what that is, a little bit. Oh, that's a superb play, and it's a, it's a, it's a very, very different animal. It's, it's one of those that, how is it possible this play is not known? And I just found it in Evo. I was just going through materials there, looking at stuff, and it just, you know, I, did, I, I would request things in the, sitting in the archive and say, bring me this, this, and this, and this, and I'd look at a stack of things. And I found Anna Pinyena, one of those. Now, Paula Prelutsky is actually, she was a, a playwright, she was active as a playwright for a fairly brief period. Uh, but she was connected with uh, Esther Kaminska, who was uh, uh, 
called uh, the mother of the Yiddish theater, who was was an actor manager, a female actor manager, um, and had her own theater in Poland. And uh, uh, Prilutsky wrote uh, several plays f- uh, for uh, Kaminska, and this was one of them. And it is as far as you can get from any of the other plays I've translated into you. It is a absolute straight drama with very little humor. Uh, it, it, it has some humor naturally, but uh, uh, it's 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 really it's not by any stretch of imagination a comedy. It's a sort of a how how to to describe it, an or a tragedy of ordinary people. It is about it is it's it's very proto-feminist, and it's about uh, uh, the difficult life of a woman. Who, of, of a young woman who is stuck in her in her environment, stuck in her in her in, in her family environment, where she is and feels very much stultified, and how she's how limited she is uh, in the in in ways of, of in choices to change her life, and it, it ends spoiler alert tragically, <laughs> and it's 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 got this 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 powerful and deeply depressing ending. Um, that I, I, I don't want to give away, but you know, it's 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 a it's an amazing play. It's uh, it was successful in its time when it was originally produced at the Kaminska Theater in I think around 1917. Uh, it probably stayed in the repertoire there for a while. I may have had some other. I think there was a production of America. I'm a little rusty just at this moment. I'd have to look at it again. Also around that period, it would have been, but has just vanished into the dust of history, and which is preposterous because this is a superb play and very very modern oh it's totally of the moment um and i yeah. remember when i saw you know um it was you performed that at yivo um and i was surrounded by um you know the cohort of yiddishists and i think everybody's reaction besides being completely wowed by the play was how did we not know about this and it was it's such an important find. I think one of the things that's really exciting, and I would say it's happening in parallel here at the center as well, is just that we're sort of in a, this interesting place where there are so many people out there like you, um, like Yelena, um, and you're doing this incredible work of finding and unearthing this trove that we're now able to dip into because it's been saved and exists somewhere. Um, and that you're discovering all of these pieces is just really important and wonderful. And I have to say the um, the book center is terrific, and of course, being in New York, not in Massachusetts, I particularly appreciate the uh, Steven Spielberg Digital Library, which I go to constantly. That is a thing, that is an incredible asset, and it is absolutely amazing that uh, thanks to that project of the book center, you can look at. Uh, uh, rare, obscure, fascinating material in your pajamas at 3 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 3 a.m. Is, is a time um, that resonates with me in terms of that sense of discovery. Um, mm-hmm. So my first introduction to you was the Coen Brothers, of course, a serious plan. Um, uh, sorry, there's a typo here on my quote script. So let's no, take, yes, serious man. serious man with a plan. Um, <laughs> uh, but how did you come to that one? Well, that's uh, through, through auditioning. Uh, there's there's uh, a couple of good stories, but I'll tell you the, just the one um, about our getting it. So Yelena and I auditioned for that separately. And uh, 
she now, the way you audition for for something like that is your initial you have an initial audition and then a callback or sometimes more than one. Um, but the initial ad- audition is for a casting director, and uh, the casting director will typically record uh, like a video recording of uh, all the auditions and then send on to the directors uh, the ones that uh, she or he thinks are you know, the ones they should look at, and then. Those people, and then the director will look at those, and then whittle down to bring me. You know, I want to see this person, this person, and this person, and that will be the callback, and you'll audition for you know for the, the, the big cheese himself. Um, so Yelena and I, the time that those the auditions came about, I was in California doing a play, and Yelena was here. So she, they, at her initial audition, it, we had had it arranged to our agent that she dropped off uh, a video recording. Uh, I guess this was before it could easily be sent uh, through the internet. Uh, she dropped off a disc uh, with a video recording of my audition, and so we both got called back again separately. So when Elaine to audition for the Cohen brothers themselves, she auditioned for them, and I auditioned for them about three weeks later when I got back to town. When she auditioned for them, they she walked into the room and they laughed at everything she did. They laughed at commas. I wish that was my line. I stole that from Robert Benchley. Um, but she got this unbelievable reaction from the Cohen brothers. I auditioned for them three weeks later, and it felt like Dostoevsky's funeral. Uh, nothing. Nothing. Not a sound. Nothing. And then ultimately, we both of us got cast. So my, my belief, and you might insist I'm, I'm, I'm mistaken, but I am absolutely convinced that uh, their thinking was, all right, well, we really like Elena, and they knew that we were married, so they figured, well, as long as we're taking her, we might as well take the Bahama along with her. <laughs> well, so that's my theory as how I, how I got cast uh, in a serious man. Okay, so, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention, um, Elena Schmolinson, your wife, um, is also, a, I think it's safe to say, a great collaborator in terms of your work. Um, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how that works back and forth. Well, we work together a great deal. Uh, we work together. We work separately uh, as well, of course. I mean, Elena had a recurring role on Orange Is the New Black, and she's done a lot of uh, television uh, stuff. She was on the Nick and Blue Bloods and so forth. And I've done a fair amount of television work on my own. So uh, we work together more uh, for stage stuff and more for projects that 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 I originate or that come to me directly uh, than for anything else. Um, and it's it's a it's a very good collaboration. Yelena is uh, a very very good sounding board, and she's got a, she's got her own perspective, and it's very useful. I, I get a lot of, when I'm directing or when I'm adapting, I get a lot of stuff from her that uh, you know it's good to have another eye uh, looking at the material and looking at the the choices, uh, you know, the directorial choices and things. And uh, it's 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 a very good collaboration, and she's. Uh, she's a superb actress and uh, very uh, very easy to direct, so it works very well. Um, so before the I other w- thing I will tell you about a serious yeah. event is I also did the Yiddish dialogue for that mm-hmm. uh, because the Coens wrote it originally in English. Uh, they don't speak Yiddish, of course, and there was an earlier translation that was incredibly literal and not, and it was it, it was it was kind of awkward and it was really not good dialogue. It was translation. And uh, uh, when uh, a lot of people who would audition for it, who, who had the, got the callbacks, had spoke, told the casting director about this. And when ultimately we got cast, 
I asked my agent to suggest to them that I redo the Yiddish dialogue, and I did, and uh, got some very nice notes. So almost all of the Yiddish translation is mine, uh, and we got I got some very very nice notices for that translation, including a glowing one from Ruth Weiss, and that's the most gratifying review I've ever gotten in my life. <laughs> that's much a... more so than for the acting. Yes. <laughs> um, so before I let you go, let's talk a little bit about that. So the boy from Far Rockaway grows up in the 1960s. Could you have imagined that this, that you would end up where you are, and sort of what, if there are any surprises along the way, or one of those moments which sort of was the trajectory for you? No, not towards Yiddish. Um, surprises, sure. I mean, uh, uh, in 1968, I couldn't imagine there would be such a thing as 1969. So uh, everything is a surprise. Um, no, I I'd, I'd never. Uh, the, the like a lot of things, I sort of oozed towards uh, doing so much work, particularly in Yiddish. I mean, I know what led me. There was one of those aha moments that ultimately led me towards uh, theater and film. That was the night a friend of mine, when we were both 13 years old, told me I should stay up and watch this thing called Duck Soup that Channel 5 was showing that night. And that changed my life. That, that, that decided the, the course of the rest of my life, uh, watching the Marx Brothers movie. Yes. Um, from that, I became a Marx Brothers fanatic and got into comedy in general. And my wonderful high school English teacher, Dr. Katz, used to assign plays to her students to read. She would give everybody a different play, and she gave me a Can't Take It With You, and then I got into George's Kaufman, etc. And that was, that was the beginning of, of all of that. And ultimately, uh, as I partially described before, that's what led me to Yiddish. But the, it, it, it sort of become more and more of what I do. And the nice thing about the Yiddish, about the Yiddish stuff is a project that is intimate, which I like doing, like Tevye Served Raw, for example, is something I just go, can go and do. Um, I don't need to sell it to uh, you know, 25 institutions or, or deal with any big money people. The project, because we produced it in a, in a small theater, in a small way, and did our own production and did very well by it. Thank God we got gorgeous, gorgeous reviews, and the attendance was terrific. We had to extend twice, um, and since then we've been performing it here and there because it's you know it's a, it's a traveling show. Um, but that's just something I was able to. It, it means the show means a lot to me, and because we were able, to, I was able to to generate the whole thing myself with the assistance of Shane and Elaine, of course. Um, it leads me more and more towards that that sort of Yiddish project. If I had to go convince the people at the public theater, say at Joseph Papp's public theater, that they should undertake a substantial Yiddish project, I'd be banging my head against the wall for years. Um, but to go and do it myself, you know, that's, that's something I can do. Well, we thank you for doing it, and we hope that you'll continue to do it. Um, I look forward I also should to... say, forgive me for interrupting, I yeah. should also say thank you, also thanks to the people at Evo who are mm -hmm. tremendous, who are wonderfully supportive and encouraging, and asked me to do project after project there. Yeah, um, I've been the beneficiary of going to those performances as well, and it's great to have a space where we can find you. Thank you so much for visiting today, and uh, look forward to the next. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Sarah Blakefeld. Be well. Be healthy and tune in again soon.